This episode is brought to you by DNA Fit, providers of state-of-the-art genetic testing. Their services build a roadmap for your individualized health, fitness, and lifestyle goals by testing the genetic markers that make you unique. As a podcast listener, you get 30% off by going to dnafit.com and using the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout. Also brought to you by Primal Mayo. Made with pure avocado oil, organic cage-free eggs, rosemary extract, vinegar derived from non-GMO beets, and a dash of salt, you can turn any traditional dish into a superfood with just one serving. Healthy mayo? Who knew? Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, aging supplement available at primalblueprint.com past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com and now introducing your host l russ hey everyone welcome to the podcast today we have a very special guest my favorite doctor on planet earth which is saying a lot because i've seen over 50 of them through the course of struggling with hypothyroidism and other issues for 10 years. I found Gary on the website Primal Docs, which is a list of paleo and primal doctors that may or may not be in your area. And the reason I searched for him is I was looking for a doctor who understood paleo nutrition, who also understood thyroid health for the purposes of being interviewed for my book. And when I met with Gary, I realized I'd found the right person. So welcome to the show, Gary. How are you? Thank you. I feel great. And I, uh, that's a very sweet introduction. Thank you. Well, listen, you have over 25 years of experience in the clinical practice of internal and integrative medicine. And, you know, determined to help some of your patients where your normal training did not, uh, did not work, you, you began investigating alternative therapies over the course of your practice. And you've expanded your training in so many systems of healing including Ayurveda, meditation, stress management, massage, and also botanical, orthomolecular, and functional medicine systems. I mean, you've gone above and beyond, and I want to talk about that first because a lot of doctors don't, and it's a big problem because, you know, I'm sure what you learned in medical school is not necessarily valid nowadays because a lot of information has come out. So let's talk about, as far as nutrition and, and medicine goes, what led you down the path to continually investigate and get training? Because clearly you didn't need to do more than your MD, but you did. <laughs> the, uh, if, uh, that is such a long and complicated question. I'm going to try not to, uh, not to bore your, uh, your listeners here. Uh, the becoming an MD is a, is a great system of indoctrination. When I went into medical school, I thought I was learning medicine. I really, that's what I thought I was learning. And I didn't realize until way too far into it that I was really learning how to prescribe drugs and surgery, that uh, an MD really is a specialist in a very small part of medicine where we can prescribe drugs or surgery for a problem, okay? And that's, that is what doctors do, and, and it is still befuddles me today that most people don't realize that if they walk into a doctor's office, they have any 
symptom question, they are truly asking for drugs or surgery. And they don't think they are, but they are. And that's, that's why in terms of the world of primary care medicine, when you go to see an MD, you are actually going in to get a very small portion of medicine on his drugs and surgery, which, and, and now you know, I'll, I'll use medicines if necessary and send people to surgeons if necessary, but it became quite clear to me that I had spent so many years, medical schools and residencies and fellowships and faculty positions, learning a very small part of medicine, and I didn't realize going into medical school that that's what I was doing. So, became quite obvious, as soon as I realized I only knew such a small amount of medicine, it's like, Damn, I, I better look into other things. And that's took me down all the paths that you just uh, discussed. Yeah, it was really interesting. I had the privilege of being in a session. I brought a friend to see you and that friend wanted me in the room with her. <clears throat> and I saw the way you spoke with patients and the questions you asked. And you went so above and beyond what any doctors test or ask. You really focused a lot about this person's lifestyle. And I was so shocked because this is never really asked, like, what are you eating? How are you sleeping? What's happened in your life recently? Any big events? Things like that, which we know now and the primal community knows contributes to stress levels and adrenals and health. But, you know, your approach was, was something I had never seen before. And you really cared about the patient, which is, I know, why you've gone above and beyond. Tell us about, I mean, there's been a lot of your patients who have come in maybe in the past that were sick and were not getting better by conventional treatment. And it, you went above and beyond and kept looking into it to help that patient, which is where you arrived at new information. So I just want to talk to the audience a little bit right now and for, coming from a doctor. One of my biggest things that, that bothers me is when people leave a doctor's office and they just go, my doctor said my thyroid's fine. My doctor said everything's fine. Nobody even knows what that means. They don't look at their blood tests. Can you tell the audience how important it is to be involved in your own health. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's this saying, physician heal thyself, and, and that everybody is their own best physician. Uh, for the most part, people have been, once again, indoctrinated into thinking, do that, too complicated, um, when the only person that, that can treat them is themselves. And so uh, the the last, especially 40, 50 years of medicine or commercialization of medicine has led most people to think, wow, I, if I have, if I'm burping, I have to go see a doctor. I have, if I stubbed a toe, I have to see a doctor. And they disempowered themselves so that they don't take on very normal healing things. They go to the doctor for that. And, and that takes them into this position once again, where they thought they were going to get some information on lifestyle or on stress or on something. Their MD, for the most part, can't do that. Now, you know there's many components to that too, right, El? In that the standard office visit in the internal medicine world is about 10 minutes for an outpatient visit. And if you're going to, can you get into the depths of a person or the intricacies of a person in these quick visits where you're usually running behind anyways? And the answer is no. And especially if you want to build a person's insurance and be in network, as they say, because the patient never wants to spend any money out of pocket, then they get, they're taking themselves to these doctors have to treat them very quickly and the only way they know how is to give them a prescription now and the prescription doctors give really focuses on treating a symptom there's an anti-inflammatory here's a heartburn medicine and they don't have the time to get in here is why you have pain here is why you have heartburn and subsequently speaking now 
everybody has to be the person to actually treat themselves and then use a symptom reliever that they get the, from the doctor every now and then if they want to, but they have to become the person involved in stress management, the exercise and nutrition, the herbals, all these things. And it's not, it really, most of the things we talk about isn't difficult. I've set up my website so that you know, I try to guide my patients uh, onto here. These are the digestive problems. Go to this presentation. Teach yourself how to te uh, treat these things because I want them to be able to treat it. And each person's going to need a different um, treatment for what their problem is, even if the symptoms sound the same. Um, tell us, Gary, how you went from probably really standard American poor nutritional training that we know now years ago, and how did you discover Primal Paleo Way of Life? And then, you know, I found you because you're on the Primal Docs website, so clearly this is something that's very important to you. Can you tell us how you even came about that, like when you learned, oh, fat's not bad? Well, it's kind of interesting. I actually was a nutrition major heading into medical school, so the the nutrition part of things has always been part of my training. Interestingly, of course, most of us have learned forms of nutrition that were very much off, you know, the standard American diet stuff. So, you know, when I was uh, beginning of my education, uh, whether it was undergraduate or through into medical school, it was actually quite limited. And, you know, when it was talking about vitamins, it was about the RDA, and most of us didn't even understand what the RDA was. And so, so it, it doesn't take long when you start treating people to realize how important what they eat is, you know, in terms of making their bodies this amazing alchemical process of taking the external world and making your internal world and, and how important that is um, and how much evidence is out there how it affects metabolic health, cancer risk, everything. And if you look through the movements over time, um, I was taught that cholesterol was bad for you. I was taught that fat was bad for you. And, and if you don't take the time to actually to educate yourself, you think, and trust me, a lot of people today still think fat is bad for them. So, you know, it, and then, and of course, like most systems of healing, my last book actually was this, uh, the, um, a patient gave me a book from this doctor who was a very anti-fat and anti-cholesterol. Most of the, what I've learned were from patients who said, hey, have you heard of this, this uh, um, uh, paleo way of eating? And I, I went, no. Um, and then two or three patients bring it up. And I go, well, again, if a typical thing. If somebody brings it up three times, you better look at it. Um, <laughs> right. You know, and, you know, and so, so, of course, I started looking into it. And, you know, it, and after saying, hey, there's something that rings true here. Reading through most of the books and, the, you know, Lauren Cordes and, the, the wheat bellies and the rest of those books, the, the primal blueprint basically rang the most true to me. Of all the different paleotype books, primal blueprint became, hey, and this is long before I knew you, of course, right? And so. Yeah, in fact, so, I didn't even know you'd been recommending your patients to Mark's Daily Apple for years. Actually, after right. I contacted you, you were like, uh, that works out perfectly because I've been recommending patients. So, right. yeah. Yeah, I, I, he's on the handout I give to my patients. So, Patients come to see me, they, they get this big stress management package, and then they get a, a, a ba basic paleo handout. This is what you're supposed, if I can't eat such and such, you know, the processed foods and grains and legumes, what am I supposed to eat? They get all these references and local uh, places where they can get uh, you know, veggie boxes sent to them and farmer's markets and all these things. And of course, there's a list of references, and the first one is Mark's Daily Apple. I've been recommending his stuff just because I like the way he writes, I like the way 
information, I think, very uh, you know doable for people. So, uh, and no, of course, it's not right for everybody, you know. But if you people start to look at this stuff and they apply it to themselves, that's the key. They realize, wow, I can have huge transformations in my health. Now, I want to talk about a couple of different nuances of paleo nutrition. Like, for example, grains. Let's just talk about, I mean, we, we all maybe know why, or you can easily look up why grains may or may not be beneficial to you. But as a doctor, can you just talk about some of the conditions, autoimmune and others maybe, that grains are known triggers of and that you specifically recommend patients when they have these scenarios to stay away from? All right, let's say just uh, all of them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, every uh, just life. Just yeah, eliminate grains for life. Like, no, uh, I'm I'm with you. <laughs> that's that's making that human being, and you know, as part of that. So, uh, <laughs> so that's true. Outside of, outside of that very brief answer, uh, the most the, the most dramatic things that you will see for my patients, um, it falls under a, a, a few categories. But the most significant one are the people with chronic digestive problems. You know, so the first things you get the chronic heartburns, the chronic quote unquote, irritable bowels, you know, if you just can get them to do, now I tell them, you do this, do this primal diet for three weeks, perfect, no cheating, nothing else, three weeks, perfect, and tell me how you feel. And, you know, from a variety of digestive symptoms, the chronic constipations, the heartburns, etc. Of course, it doesn't always work, because, you know, there's other people who have other problems, but for the majority of people, it makes such a dramatic difference, and at the same time, they'll go, wow, you know what, my sinuses don't bother me anymore, or I'm not achy all the time, or I'm sleeping better, and it goes on and on because, you know, the, the classic saying is there is dis-ease before there is disease. Most people, when they see a doctor, hopefully, don't have a disease yet, okay? They have an imbalance, okay? So the, the when you talk about, and you can look at, you know, the, the glutenoids themselves, meaning the, the everything that is in the, these grains themselves, their effect on the microvilli, absorption of nutrients, their their subsequent effects on the immune system, it can affect obviously everything. Okay, and so but for most people, I think the most dramatic thing you will notice is that they just feel better. And I, I always tell people that everybody's got a different tell, so to speak. So one person, the biggest difference is in their heartburn. The next person, for me, actually, one of my big tells is my sinuses. Uh, sinus congestion comes on when I eat any of these grains. And so they'll have something, and then now they know, wow, this stuff really is related because they eliminated something, and of course, we all tried to reintroduce it, and uh, wow, that didn't work. Um, so those are the biggest. Of course, the autoimmune diseases. Uh, um, I have so many patients now with a microscopic colitis, sorry, using bigger terms, but different forms of um, you know inflammatory bowel diseases, and almost all of them respond so dramatically. And uh, they've just been told to be going on immunosuppressant drugs for the rest of your life, and you're just doomed. Uh, and they, they make a change in their diet. And of course, we do probiotics and other things, and it makes such an enormous difference in their lives. But so outside of this generic everything, the biggest differences tend to be in, in Overall aches and pains, senses of malaise, fatigue, just the general I don't feel wells, um, autoimmune diseases, um, and of you know so 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 many different things outside of everything. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so I would love to hear about. I mean, I know you have a lot of success stories, but can you give us your biggest disaster patient who became you know transformed by adopting a paleo primal life? Wow. Um, and by the way, I should have also mentioned that weight's an obvious one for people oh, too. Oh, sure. You know, so, and I was 
so in my doctor mode, it's like, oh, oh yeah, and wait too, you know. Um, <laughs> so we're so focused on these diseases, you know, and you know something as important as being able to finally lose that weight. Man, there's so many. Um, it's huge. That's the biggest thing for most people. If you don't feel comfortable in your body, you walk around during the day, life's not right. 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 So losing weight obviously is very important. I didn't mean to forget even to bring that one up. Um, and so the whole. Oh, Cool. See, I'm I'm always this multi-interventional guy. So, and you know, I, I've probably had patients with even metastatic cancers. Okay, now, is it just the diet? No, but they make these dramatic changes in their diet, and they take some supplements, and they do some stress management. Then, incurable tumors seem to regress, and they make a big. And I'm not going to say cured because all the patients that I'm talking about that have these successes. Um, doing many things and we never know if they're going to be cured forever but the 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 differences especially are i would say for cancer patients when they take it on because they tend to be the sickest they tend to have the most uh, um, problems with their digestive tract so when they make these changes their digestion starts to kick in they start to start to get energy um, then they start to realize wow i also have to keep out sugars because of the the, the problems i have with this cancer and it makes such a difference as part of the therapy because how I know that is I have a group of people sometimes that just, well, of course, this is like any doctor, they'll come to see you and they won't do anything you say. Um, there's another group that will just say, do some supplements and other people just focus on lifestyle. And you get the people who do the lifestyle changes with all the other things that get such a, a greater dramatic improvement, mainly in how they feel. Oh, that's really the biggest difference. And so, and then when you see, and is it because of the IVs and all the other things we do, but when we see things that are supposed to be incurable drifting away, it makes a, it just makes a, such a huge difference in your practice. Uh, my, you know, I have, you know, my experience with doctors, but in my, aside from you, in my experience with doctors, a lot of them, you know, are using old, outdated, irrelevant, and flawed conventional medical wisdom still. In fact, literally just a few days ago, I'm, in, I'm lucky enough to be on the island of Kauai in Hawaii, and I went to go see a doctor here. I'm not sick or anything, but I was just sort of curious. And I literally almost, I, I kind of wanted to just like leave and throw a smoke bomb in the building because I, I was so angry. I walked into the doctor. He literally... He said, huh, and he opened up his iPhone. He said, Google, what is the most active thyroid hormone? I'm like, I can answer that for you. You don't need to, why are you Googling? And then not only did he get everything wrong about thyroid health, which I was not surprised, but all of these posters in the room about eating right were really what was terrifying me. So one right. poster was from Pfizer to prevent hypervention, and it said, eat low-fat dairy, eat low-fat meat, and avoid saturated fat. And then, yeah, and that was from Pfizer. And then, you know, another right. another set of posters from the Department of Hawaii government against diabetes was posting how to eat smart. And it said to eat six to 11 servings of grains a day. We all know that's the government food pyramid. But what really right. got me was there was a photo of water, like a bottle of water. And it said equals zero gram sugar. That makes sense. We all get that. But then right. the photo right under it said fresh fruit crop equals zero grams of sugar. Now, you are a part of this system. And yeah. here I am, I'm in this doctor's office, and I literally left and I bawled my eyes out because I just was like, everything seemed to be wrong in this medical office. 
Not only did the doctor really not know what he's doing, and then I left realizing he was mistreating thyroid patients, everyone that came in there. And then on the other hand, too, all of the information they're presenting, a lot of obese people here in Hawaii, you know, is basically going to give them diabetes. If you think there's no sugar in a fresh fruit cup, do you know what I mean? I mean, you're going to be eating a ton of fruit all day long. So how do you, as a doctor, part of this community, like how, how do you deal with that because all of your co cohorts to you know i guess to some description a lot of them have it wrong or they don't know this latest information you must have patients that come to you obviously i know you do that were doctors have failed them before based on this kind of thing but isn't that a little bit i mean what can you say about that or what can be done about that or what is it you know what i mean because that was a really hard experience for me and i wasn't shocked but it was tough you know wow um this goes back to a lot of my meditative training and those things. And so the one of my favorite meditation um, teachers, his name is Adi Ashanti, and he says the, the goal of meditation, which is kind of funny if you know meditation, the goal of meditation is to see things, everything exactly as it is. And so I my a lot of my training, a lot of my research right now is about this isness in the world. And, you know, so why does the person on Fox News say the thing they do? And why does the doctor, the doctor who, um, you know, uh, you know, say these things about still, you know, the old food pyramid, which is so ancient. And so and, ancient. If that, and if that doctor looked into it, understands it's just a marketing ploy to try to sell something. But, you know, so it's actually doctors and most people are pretty easy to dupe into something. They, you say something often enough and they say, well, the gosh, that must be true. And then unfortunately, and this kind of goes, most of the patients who saw that doctor today think the doctor is an authority on nutrition. Right. And they're right. not. Okay. They're an authority on drugs and surgery. And you have to look at this. Why in the heck are people going to MDs? know nothing about nutrition uh, and that's an interesting thing because I've had patients of mine well what are you doing this Mark Sisson guy he's not a doctor and it's like yeah that's kind of what makes it better huh you know and <laughs> you know, right. he's more open-minded you know, you yeah and that's the thing mindedness you have and health etc because I don't have any dogma to live by I don't have a set you know religion practice I don't have a set medical religion practice most people want to believe that they're Whatever. In this case, their MD knows everything about medicine, and that was that was the the aha moment for me. And not long into my medical career, is I don't know a lot about medicine. I know a lot about drugs and surgery. Oh, okay. If I really want to know about medicine, who does a good job? And I looked into Ayurveda, and I spent a lot of time with Deepak and and functional medicine and all these other people because I just love medicine, you know. And I know it's a practice. I know that I'm going to keep learning and. No, I mean, I, I've gone through different phases in my life. I started off with these low-fat diets because that's what I was taught, by the way. Right. You know, and so, but you have to keep learning. You go, really? Hold on, wait a minute. I got to keep looking at these things. And what's a real food? And go on, and you know, step by step by step. Do you think integrative medical doctors are really something that people, if they're looking for someone with a, a broader, more open mind, is that what people should be looking for in a doctor, maybe? Does integrative equal more open-minded, kind of? Uh, it, Almost always. I mean, you know, there's there's people who go into integrative medicine because they hear it's popular because there's docs in our area that uh, 
that call themselves integrative and they're not, they just kind of put it on their shingle so that people think they are and it sells, I guess, you know, and so, but on average, they are more interested. So when you look at doctors who go through the Institute for Functional Medicine, I did a lot of training through A4M, which is the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. I did most of the stuff be quite honest, really on my own. And so, and then you, you, then you can, because almost anybody, you saw what I do. I do treat with nutrition. I don't just, you know, right. give it lip service, so to speak. I really do work on stress management, et cetera, et cetera, because those are the founda foundations of health for everybody. Too many people focus on what the problem of the day is, you know? And so, for instance, somebody will say, gosh, my thyroid's off, and then why is their thyroid off? And then you look, it's, their, it's not just their diet, it's not just their lack of exercise or their too much exercise, and, and it's, it is stress affecting and all these things. And if you don't deal with those foundational principles, your patient really never gets well. Then you prescribe them a drug that usually will help a symptom for a while, but if you take it long enough, it will poison some other system and you've got another disease, which by the way, makes Western medicine one of the best of all systems in terms of its viability because we create more diseases with each drug we give. Right, one prescription Which begets another prescription on their own, yeah. And that keeps the clients coming, you know? Whereas if you get people to actually heal themselves all and actually understand nutrition and practice that way, they need you less and less and less, you know? And so, and that's, that is actually one of my, my fun things because I'm on the central coast of uh, California, but I'm on the coastline and, <clears throat> have so many patients from the Central Valley and and they get so well over a course of time and I said oh, I'll just need to see you yearly and they'll go no we want to visit you more you know I can see <laughs> because, why I want to like visit you all the time <laughs> exactly you know they want to come in just because oh, okay can't we just come to the coast a little bit more well you know I, I'm like telling them you can even vacation you don't have to use me as a justification to, to come to the coast and so uh, you know so th that's the beauty of healing this way it, it does take much longer of course okay drugs are instantaneous and you know and we all know that, you know, the... But they're the, just symptom relievers, so they're not going to fix the, necessarily fix the cause of the problem, so... Primarily. I mean, in life and death situations. So, sure. you know, I've, I've saved people's lives with IV antibiotics when they had a life-threatening pneumonia, and then we put them on a ventilator and IV antibiotics and supported their blood pressure, and they made it. They would have died without that. And so, you know, I'm, again, in the acute care of things, Western medicine just rocks, okay? However, I'm an outpatient doctor, so... For the most part, when I'm seeing someone, drugs and surgery almost never should be my first line treatment. But thank heavens there, there is the backup plan, right? Absolutely. And I, I want to just briefly, you touched on it, but I want to just go back and ask you about it. Integrative cancer therapies and sugar. So can you just tell the audience a little bit, and not to scare the crap out of everyone, I mean, I eat sugar every now and then, <laughs> but... but <laughs> But it's really interesting, you know, I, at least I've heard, it's been my, my impression that, you know, to, you need to kind of starve the cancer and providing it sugar in any form is, could, could help propel it, right? And also, right. Same, isn't it the same with um, fungus, for sure, I know, um, which is why a lot of people who go paleo reduce their sugar and carbs, like skin funguses go away, including my brother who had 10 years of white spots all over his chest. And it's like you know, amazing. And, you know, again, they were prescribing, you know, dandruff shampoos to wash his body with what every day for 50 more years, you know? So, uh, you know, now they're all gone and they've been gone for a year and it's, it's not come back. So I know fungus and cancer, is there anything else thrown into that mix? And am I correct in that assessment? Well, you are, I mean, obviously when you get to, just like we we're talking about drugs and surgery, I have a patient with a widely metastatic breast cancer. She has to change her diet, but we actually, I'm, 
doing all kinds of natural therapies and she's getting chemotherapy and other things because we need to get control of this. And then down the road, she does need some symptom relief. She has a massive tumor volume and if we don't do something about it, she's not gonna be here for very, very long. So she does get some chemotherapy. She does get dietary advice and stress management advice and a ton of different things to support the body while they go through these treatments. And the hope is, because I've just started seeing her, that wow, we'll dramatically decrease the tumor mass. Then we get her off the chemotherapies, of course, and continue her therapy. Because if we do, it's a little bit more complicated than just starving the cancer. It's, it goes down to the very root of, of cancer um, is that the genetic mutations that occur in, in cancer are a response to metabolic dysfunction. So when we have underlying high blood sugars and we have high insulin levels, the changes in mitochondrial function, especially within those within our cells, the faster growing cells especially, the changes can lead to the genetic mutations that lead to the cancer. And so for the long-term approach, you have to make a shift in people, um, you know, and that's why for seeing a doctor is important and get baseline tests and know what your vitamin D is and know what your fasting sugar is and your hemoglobin A1C, which is your three-month blood sugar and your insulins, because it can you can get a pretty good marker am i doing well with the diet that i'm eating and you can look for it these symptoms of, of aging basically and they're the things that lead to most of the solid tumors we see from breast to colon to lung etc but the so for first and most what i'm most interested in is of course the prevention of cancer it's really tough to treat this stuff it's uh, trust me it's tough on a doctor um and so but we got to do it and we have to do diet and a lot of other things but in the prevention getting people's metabolic health going well which of course involves a primal diet and exercise and other things um it will do more about preventing cancer than anything else we can do outside of you know quitting smoking obviously um and so but this yes there is so many up there's such an enormous upregulation of the glucose receptors within cancer cells because of the shift in metabolism that has occurred that if you don't make a shift in your diet you are dramatically decreasing your chances of cure mm, so interesting and i remember there was a woman who spoke at one of the primal cons and she wrote a book and talked about low carb and she survived breast cancer um, and she did do some chemo, but she said the low carb, I mean, she was like, I think it was like 19 carbs a day or less, 12 maybe. Wow. And uh, it, she she's in remission. She's doing great. And I remember people telling her like, oh, you should drink fresh pressed juices. And, you know, that whole idea that these fresh pressed juices are healthier and they're going to like help these systems. But for someone like cancer or for people kind of trying to avoid it, we should stay away from those, right? I mean, eat the piece of fruit, not the, the full juice, but. Right. Yes, that is the case. Now, in some ways, you know, and I want to be clear about this, you can get pretty, you know, so I tell people, how can, why can a, a, a paleo type diet and a vegan diet seem to lead to so many of the similar benefits? And to me, the biggest issue is not eating Taco Bell, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, or McDonald's or Burger King or whoever, Applebee's, whatever these places are. And if you can cut that stuff out, okay? And it's the most important thing because the last article I wrote on my website was about nutrition treating people, not diseases, okay? Every single, it's the person nutrition treats so and this is true in ayurvedic medicine and every other real system of healing which is you're supposed to diagnose people not diseases okay and so each person has different requirements are there going to be some people 
astrometabolic people, et cetera, they will do better with juicing type diets as long as it's organic and whole food, et cetera. And that will actually be, be right for their body. The healthier their body is, the better their body can fight the cancer. So it's a little bit more complicated than just the sugars. And yes, there'll be certain people that'll be doing great against cancers by doing more of the juicing thing just because of their underlying metabolic um, typing. Okay, and so now for the most part, though, uh, the more serious the cancer, the more likely the person is going to have to avoid the excess carbs, especially the juicing. You know, right. some of these juicing diets. I was just telling this patient the other day, which was, you know, this is the way it's supposed to go. You're supposed to make this much juice this and drink this much juice this hour and drink this much water the next hour, another juice the next hour. You're pretty much spending your life juicing, cleaning your juicer, drinking water, and peeing. You know, and that's your life. <laughs> You know, <laughs> exactly. And that's, a lot and that's of pain. not a good life, you know, it's a juicing, cleaning, juicing, you know, and, and a lot of time in the bathroom. And so the, <laughs> so get obsessed about, you know, and, and I have patients, of course, when they're doing green juicing and things, I say, listen, you can do that. Throw in a, a few slices of some apple or some pear or some other types of things, you know, use that. And if it's something their body really responds to, um, I encourage it but most of them are only going to be doing it a few times a day because they don't feel great if they do that constantly sure. and that's why we really always want people to individualize their therapy you know and you can do that thing about doing a primal diet and say listen not as important to me how many how much bison or how much blueberries you eat we just got to get a, get you away from the concept that one is inherently better than the other and you run better on bison, then you eat more of that. You run better on blueberries, eat more of that. Most of us need both. And so, and even within the cancer world, you know, especially the, the very militant uh, vegan people that sound like it's the only thing. And if you were to eat even organic bison or whatever, that, that's the end. You're, you're just doomed. Um, and that's not true. And so now if the person doesn't run well, they just don't feel as well towards eating more fats and proteins, and they're really listening to their body and they're heading towards organic juicing, there are a subset of people who are gonna do well with that. And we always wanna make it available to the person, listen, you know, we want you to treat you. Remember how we said too many people are disempowered out there. They think that doctors should tell them how to eat and how to exercise and how to meditate, and only they can do it. And yes, no matter well, what. Well, and if disease, anyone goes to the doctor I went to in Hawaii the other day, they're going to get a metabolic problem. So, uh, uh, I mean, right. in some cases, they're hurting uh, patients. Of course, but it's good for business, you know. And so, you know, so right. once again, we we do the American Diabetes Association diet would be the, like the the worst diet ever to create diabetes. Okay, because they're such a high carb diet. They've modified a little bit over the years, but it's still a super high carb diet. And uh, and uh, again, so and that's why most people if they they do even see some of the certified uh, dietitians. They've been indoctrinated in that same kind of uh, diet plan, you know. Yeah, um, my so mother. My mother was told by a nutritionist once to eat again, like many servings of uh, wheat and you know shredded wheat and grains and potatoes. Right. <laughs> and I mean, right. you know, my gosh. And, and there are people out there, of course, that are thinking, yeah, it's a food group. You have to eat it. And they go, no, it's. A no, and so it's not a food group. And they go through, what about B vitamins? Better, you get more B vitamins in fridge issues where you get folic acid from. And then they start to understand that there's more B vitamins, there's more minerals, there's more fiber per unit in each of these, all our different fruits and vegetables. And in no way does any human being need, need anything from these grains. And of course, they all hear me say, if, you know, 
I'm not saying tiramisu isn't tasty. Can you say, that, not, can you say that one more time, though, to everybody, that there is nothing, what you just said about there grains? Is ab- there is absolutely nothing found in grains, you know, that is necessary in a human there's just nothing and and many people think it's fiber but no per gram of food there's more fiber in fruits and vegetables and more b vitamins and more minerals and it goes on and on and on and of course there's anti-nutrients usually that are found within the grains that affect the absorption even of the nutrients that are there so it goes on and on and it's so hard because people they want to believe in santa claus and they want to believe in you know sourdough and 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 letting go of that is so difficult for them because you know they already had to get little usually got rid of santa um i mean they still like him but you know they kind of understand it's not real but uh, we grow up with these mythologies and and letting go of them is very difficult for people um the the food the breads growing up with cereals you know all those things it's it's really it's they people have made it into a belief system and that's the you know kind of the scary thing you know and so and and yes when you challenge people's belief systems you know their world can like it's crumbling on them, you know and so you know and i've had people say to me i cannot live without bagels and you think about how sad a statement that is right. um and, and but if i i do as you might doctor, not live with them that's the problem <laughs> right so you know and, and they may you know, voodoo themselves into actually dying without their bagels. So I said, okay, can we get rid of everything else? You know, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so, so, uh, so on that order, I mean, it's it, there is nothing present within all the grains, and you know, most of the people understand. You know, a, a, a good. And I th- hopefully Mark likes this, but the Sarah Valentine who wrote, you know, Paleo Approach, I mean, she does more of the immunology of these things and understanding of those, the, uh, that part of things. And um, for some of the people with a true autoimmune disease is getting an immunologist perspective on it as well. I think she does a good job in going into the depth of that as well. She writes fairly technically. She's certainly not for everybody, but I really like her her take on things, even though she goes further than I do in most of my patients. In a supermarket full of mayo options, how do you know which one to pick? Well, there's an easy answer. The one that tastes good and is good for you. But here's the problem. Almost all store-bought mayonnaise contains industrial seed oils or eggs raised from hens treated with added hormones and antibiotics. Not exactly the best recipe for good health. Luckily, there's a new mayo creating a ton of buzz. It's called Primal Kitchen Mayo and contains only the finest superfood ingredients, including all-natural avocado oil and organic cage-free eggs. So no more trading good health for great taste. Go to primalblueprint.com today and pick up a three-pack. As an added bonus while supplies last, enter the code FREEBOOK at checkout to receive a free copy of Mark Sisson's Healthy Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings Cookbook with any three-pack mayo order. Now, I, I feel like I want to convince everyone in the audience who, have, who hasn't gotten their blood tested to get blood tested because we're seeing a lot of this. Like, for example, we just had a guest on, Ted McDonald, who was an endurance athlete. He runs a yoga studio. He does yoga, meditation, just meditation yoga retreats. I mean, the guy's a pillar of health. He looks great. But at 42, went to get his blood tested because he got married. They're thinking about having kids and found out he's pre-diabetic because of all of his crazy carbo training, even though he looked like and lived the lifestyle of and didn't even eat that many grains necessarily, you know? So it's just like a lot of people are, there's hidden things without symptoms going on. And so if there, what could you say to impress upon people? I mean, I know people my age who have never gotten a blood test in their life ever, like, you know, and so I... 
and not that I'm worried for them. I don't want to push out there to people like you should be afraid, but I also feel like, you know, it's a great positive sense too when you do leave and see that all your blood works great and then right. how quickly something can pop up and kill you if you don't get it done you know so how do we convince everybody to like you know get these tests <laughs> you're so funny I'll get these tests or something can pop up and kill you um <laughs> well, yeah I mean, but you know what i mean like there's a lot of like i know people I know, young I know who are like saying. three years yeah. never went to the doctor and then everybody should get assessment <laughs> tools i mean you know it's you know, you know how I work. I, I talk to people about there's different lines of intelligence to develop in our lives. And, you know, and we have to avoid being too hierarchical because there are people who want to solve everything through nutrition and they can't or everything through meditation or everything through exercise. And even if they're feeling they're being complete, they're usually missing something. There's something they don't want to look at. I think we all need psychotherapy. So very few people look into that <laughs> side of their life. We really do. Even if we meditate, yes, because that's a different line of intelligence. And I promise I'm getting to your thing. And yes, we need to look into supplements. And no, we can't solve everything, but that's a different line of intelligence to develop. What you're talking about is assessment tools is truly a line of intelligence for us to develop, you know, so that athlete probably did measure his heart rate and some other types of things in terms of his training or, you know, and he had a measurement tool, how much, how fast I can run and things. So he was using measurement tools that he believed in, but, but doesn't feel, well, if I do these things, I don't need to check my blood sugar. And it's just not true. Now I had a lady, uh, um, had a, unfortunately a very bad cancer because she was a vegan meditator therefore she couldn't have colon cancer so it didn't matter if there was blood there in the stools it must be a hemorrhoid and and a few years goes by and oops it really isn't but she didn't see a doctor because it couldn't be because she was a vegan meditator um you know and it's funny thing that is you too dad dogmatic about your own beliefs uh, even about exactly. your own health and i like that point that you said it's just another level of intelligence right and that's that's all it is and and in our own health we actually do have to be quote unquote CrossFit, you know, and so, you know, it, it's so important. So this assessment tool thing, see, now uh, the, part of the problem, you need to see an integrative doctor or maybe a naturopathic physician, etc., because most doctors don't know how to interpret lab tests. And I, I know you know this, but, you know, like they'll do a thyroid test and look at one TSH on you and the TSH is fine. Sorry, that's thyroid stimulating hormone. It's just the standard Western doctor thyroid test and they'll make global assessments about your thyroid based upon one test being within a reference range that isn't right either. Um, Actually, know, let's and, go into that real quick. Uh, when you're done, I want to go into optimal ranges, but go ahead. Absolutely. And so, so you know, so most of the docs are what we call star doctors, or if there isn't an H or an L or something next to the lab, they just kind of blow it off, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's important for us also to have an idea of what a healthy range is, and we can talk about that. But yes, we should get, you know, look, you know, you, you probably heard me say this, Al, which is, you know, the most the things that are most important in life are the things you can't measure, but measure you can. And this is the thing about this measurement tools. People think, well, I get enough vitamin D because they go out in the sun. That's another mythology. And they probably don't have enough vitamin D. Well, I have to have a pretty good sugar because I'm paleo and and, and and that's not necessarily true. And you've got to get these things measured and your insulin levels and your vitamin Bs in terms of this thing called homocysteine and inflammation levels. Of course, I always hope these things are okay. You know, I'm over 50, and I am, um, and so I got a, a colonoscopy recently, and the it was a complete waste of time. And what I mean by that is that it was completely clear. You never want your money's worth out of a screening test. So, um, <laughs> yeah, right. You, know, you want it to be a waste of time. That's the whole point. <laughs> I want it to be a waste of time, and it was. You know, and so, and that's a I think a mistake. People, of course, you know, you should get these 
test done. I actually wasn't afraid of the colonoscopy. I just, you know, who's looks forward to that? You know, and so, but you get our testing, whether it's a colonoscopy or these blood tests or these other things, because they're feedback. Your body sometimes speaks to you through symptoms. And it's odd. The symptom is unusual. Why doesn't everybody who just eats a throw up and 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 i don't know it's it would be easy if every time somebody ate cereal they threw up they, they'd figure it out pretty quickly it can be a weird other symptom so and it also can be a sign okay and then what and again that sign might be a high cholesterol despite a pretty good diet a sign might be a blood sugar issue or inflammation is a there's a test called the c-reactive protein the highly sensitive version you that's a test that almost always proves when people do a diet because the low-grade inflammation in their body is regarding this ongoing inflammatory process regarding putting something into their body that is so irritating and you measure it and say listen i bet this crp will get better if you do this and we'll you know do a paleo diet do these other things and sure enough it almost always comes down and when it does means there's something else there you know and, so, and that same goes for antibodies that you've seen in hashimoto's oh, patients absolutely where they go paleo and then the antibodies go down significantly. They can they drop dramatically. I saw somebody the other day, they um, started off with a 1700 on the thyroid peroxidase antibody and now, oh we're at seven, and now we're at 70 and we're six months later. And it's a combination of eating paleo, correcting vitamin D and taking some selenium. It's that simple. But in this person it was, okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, so, so again, you just, amazed at these things. Most doctors, for instance, will not measure a thyroid antibody because what do you do about it, right? You know, and so for us, we measure it because we know ongoing levels of thyroid antibodies, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, the thyroid globulin antibodies can be associated with ongoing cancer risk, ongoing heart disease risk. So it's something to correct. Most of our Western training, Western MD training, you're not taught anything to do about that because if you listen to what I said, I'm talking to them about nutrition and some nutrients to help treat this, which is not part of Western training. It's only drugs. So the doctor won't measure those tests because they don't know what to do about them. Yeah, and a side note on Hashimoto's with the antibodies. If anyone out there has a relative or someone who is even optimized and feeling good on thyroid hormone, that still doesn't mean there's not underlying autobodies that are exploding <laughs> that do need to be looked at. So, I mean, I actually had a friend who, based on my conversation with you about it, went paleo and in the past six months and saw a complete change in their antibodies, but their doctor never thought that the, anti the presence of the high antibodies was an issue. It was always like, oh, well, you have Hashimoto's, and even though you're you know, managed on thyroid hormone and you feel great, you may not have any Hashimoto symptoms, so the presence of antibodies is normal. But you, know, you were pointing out that, well, the levels are what you really need to look at. You can't just dismiss it because it will lead to something you can't see or feel at some point. Correct. And we're not taught on this either. It's very important to understand all is that you have to look for this stuff. It's not part of, you know, New England Journal of Medicine, Annals of Internal Medicine. You have to actually look for these kinds of things uh, or you don't find them because they're not part of mainstream medicine. Because once again, there's really no drugs or surgery to be done for these things. Therefore, the majority of doctors really, it doesn't matter how educated they are, they, they just don't know about this. Okay. Right, and you were saying about like chemo doctors, for example. You're like, if right. you're a chemotherapy doctor, that's all you know, that's what you right. do. You don't even see that there's other modalities to incorporate. Uh, absolutely, because that's people, 
That's what we call disintegrative medicine, right? Integrative medicine is, is actually- Don't go to one of those doctors, everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll have the exploding things that you get, you call. <laughs> so, no, but it is. People don't realize they separate themselves into body parts. They want to see their neurologist for this and their chemotherapy doctor for this. And, and they've, they've blown themselves into body parts like they really are separate. And so many things that one group of doctors does work against the other group. And so the, the integrate of cancer therapies, the Western chemotherapy, the hematologists, oncologists, they have to, they deal with very, very complicated patients, obviously, and I have a ton of respect for them. However, they are specialists in the drug and, and surgery, sometimes surgery, radiation, those types of approaches. They know nothing about these things. And unfortunately, they're so afraid of supplements, of diet, of these things. Uh, they're just afraid that any change the person does might get in the way of their, uh, their cancer therapy. So they tend to be extraordinarily misinformed uh, about this information and too often speak on what they know not of. And so the, uh, so it's uh, such an important thing for anybody with a significant cancer to have somebody who works with them from a basis other than just chemotherapy um, because most of the times chemotherapy alone cannot work because it doesn't deal with the complexities of what cancer is. And unfortunately, they only see the Western oncologist and they get a very limited therapy that usually works to, the, to a degree for short term but cannot work long term for most cancers. And you know, while we're on this note, and, and and not that I have fun trashing doctors because I don't. I want them to all be. <laughs> I want them to all be like you. But you know, I really. Love, it's it's better when you hear it sort of from a doctor. And one of the things you explained to me, I thought was important to maybe share with everyone because I had found in the thyroid world that endocrinologists are some of the worst doctors to see for thyroid problems um, because they're so indoctrinated. They don't look beyond what the American Association of Endocrinologists have to say. So they are dealing in thirty, forty year old uh, medical protocols sometimes. And you, you really described it well, and I'd love you to share. You know, it's just, the, let's talk about the ego of doctors, because, you know, I have been patronized so many times in my life, and I know people out there have too, where a doctor just goes, ah, you're fine, you don't need to get that test, that's a waste of time, just kind of dismisses the patient. And there is something, there's some ego there about doctors that you don't have, you're so open and wonderful, that's why you're on the show right now, but I mean, it's tough, I mean, you know, because people just kind of get patronized and go, oh, well, they got a medical degree from Harvard, so they must know. So can you share a little bit about like where you know and kind of see that ego coming from and why we experience that? Well, instead of answering that, I'm just going to give you an antidepressant now. <laughs> Perfect answer. That's all you needed to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just cracked myself up. Sorry about that. The um, So, yes, if you go through the degree of training that I've been through and the long, long nights and, and it's some of it's actually quite horrible and, and, and vexing, it's hard to believe that you don't know everything about medicine. And you actually have to develop almost a, a certain degree of callousness because you're dealing with so many very tough situations, residencies in internal medicine, I wouldn't recommend to anybody. Um, and so uh, it, it is difficult to accept that you didn't learn everything you needed after you spent, now in today's world, after you've spent a hun hundreds of thousands of dollars um, uh, to get an education that is extraordinarily limited. And what, 10 um, years that, of your life even or something? Yeah, so. and you go through, you know, your most, most docs go through four years undergrad, four years medical school, usually about a three-year residency, that's a good chunk of your life. And so it's tough to come out of that, usually hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and say, gosh, I really 
it really wasn't worth it. Um, <laughs> you know, and yeah, so, that's a, that's a tough regret. It is, you know, and so you better wear the, this kind of suit of armor that I really have. I am, I am the dispenser of medical knowledge, and if somebody comes in questioning you, and it's about something you, they you, they don't know because they don't want to admit they don't know it. They don't really don't know nutrition. They really don't know supplements. They don't know most of the things that they actually need to know. It's actually. You're, you're like challenging them in their Western medical belief system, you know, and I talk about this dogmatic approach. Western medicine is truly, in its practice, a belief system. I, you know, and I didn't go into medical school thinking that, but it really it is. And when you challenge, just look in the world today, when you challenge people's belief systems, you get really great responses from them. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you've been even and, trying to convince someone to get rid of the pasta, right? You know, you can get a... I, Oh, absolutely. They, they, are, they are pasta believers, and they just think you're some sort of gluten-free weirdo. And so, yeah, sure, you're from California. You're all like that, I bet, you know. And so, uh, and so, you know, but yes, most doctors, they, they do have a certain degree of ego that's been built up. Um, but most of them are just as human as the rest of us. And, and hopefully if they at the time to spend to be with you and of course the, the the patient has to communicate to them without being arrogant themselves because if you come in and somebody's just you know i've had people you know you're joking about mds they they really don't even like me when they come to see me because they don't like mds and i say you know sure. it's like so why are why are you here you know because you know just sitting across from me and giving me stink eye you know and so it's not fun for any of us you know and uh but uh but that's the beauty of expanding your your field of inquiry is that the most humbling thing in the world is to to be intelligent in the world and realize how much you don't know and the amount, sense of humility that comes from that is amazing. Uh, I was telling just somebody yesterday that you know, I wouldn't see anybody who calls themselves an herbal expert because all the herbal, true herbal experts that I know, and I know quite a few, they would never be arrogant enough to call themselves experts. They're humbled <laughs> by how little they know about these things. They'd say they can help you, and they, they're not, they're obviously know what to do, they don't you wouldn't call yourself an expert in herbal medicine because it, you you the you just every day you open up this whole field of stuff that you didn't you weren't aware of you know so uh it's a it's an extraordinarily humbling process to be first of all lucky enough to take care of patients let me start with that to be in the ability to be in service to humanity is such an, a gift for any doctor and then and then to be able to be humble in that is, to me, the only thing you can do because you don't know enough. I mean, and but you're still trying to do the best you can. That's why it is a practice of medicine. You know, the way I treat most cancers today is a lot different than it was two years ago. Okay. I'm still learning and I've been doing this for whatever it's been, 25, 27, something, 28 years. It's been a while, you know, <laughs> you know, and so, but I am, I am quite humbled by how little I know and that, but that's not a good selling point when you're dealing with a person with a critical problem so it's not what you lead with usually well, sure. <laughs> yeah right hi welcome to my appointment my background is I don't know a lot but I'm willing to learn and I learn regularly yeah pretty much yeah yeah you shouldn't lead with that they, they you know they don't want you to be arrogant but they don't want you to, to lead off with I really don't know a whole lot I don't actually know why you're here yeah. um well, a couple of things that you know you said about that I really like, and I do want people to just understand, like that that idea that how I, I kind of understand, like how could I spend all these years and all this money and gone to Harvard, the best school, in the, and then not know what I need to know about medicine, 
And that that that's tough, right? That's almost like the the low fat mind blow that we all got. Like, what? That's not bad for you, right? So, I mean, it's just the people like you who continue to learn. So, if we can impress to NEMDs, right? It'd be continue to learn if. If a patient keeps complaining and you're telling them their blood looks fine, then maybe look more into that for them. But on the other side, too, patients need to be more involved. And I want to kind of talk about that right now. Optimal blood values versus range. Because I have myself been told in the past, you know, it's within range, your thyroid's fine, they're looking at the wrong test. And just because it's within a range does not mean it should be at the very bottom of the range. Um, And so I guess I want to go through a couple specifics just for people like let's talk for example about iron storage let's talk about ferritin um, which is really important for women especially you know menstruating females and um, especially females that work out a lot on top of that throughout their life or may have not had a a primal paleo diet before iron levels can get low and they cause a lot of problems so can you just talk about why iron storage and iron is important well um yes uh the most of the times, of course, people think of iron and hemoglobin and, and iron being our source of making red cells. And of course, that's very true. Uh, the It's true for most you know, pre-menopausal women, women who are still having periods, of course, have had children to be iron deficient because you, obviously women lose blood on a, on a very cyclical basis. And so uh, the and the key is the doctor not only has to measure an iron level that's actually not that useful is to measure this thing called iron storage called ferritin ferritin is a is how your body stores iron it's the simplest way of putting it now the reference ranges in the labs like for instance for women will go down in some labs as low as 10 um and be say 10 to to 250 um and that's such a ridiculous reference range because reference ranges are based on average populations Obviously, for instance, if most women are already iron deficient, the reference range for women will include a lot of iron deficient women. So the reference range includes iron deficiency, but it but it comes out as quote unquote being normal. And and again, obviously, if everybody has iron deficiency, it's not normal. It's just wow, we really have to work on this. And well, let's give everyone a specific example here. Sorry to interrupt, but so for example, ferritin should be fifty to one hundred. Right, fifty to one hundred. So, for example, I'm going to go back and say when I had my when I was severely anemic, restless legs, had terrible iron issues, my ferritin was at thirty on a scale of ten to one fifty. So, even something, and I recently saw a couple people's ferritin at thirty. So. When I looked back, so many doctors were like, you're fine, you're fine. It never, like you said, had an L or an H next to it on the blood test, so I guess they didn't care to look. But that is not an optimal value. In fact, that really hurt me, and then it actually got down even lower. I also know a guy who had extremely low ferritin, which is kind of rare, and he uh, had corresponding horrible tinnitus in his ears, ringing his ears. Uh, Turns out, we looked online, there happened to be some correlation. The six weeks or so after he was taking iron to get his ferritin up, tinnitus started to go away. So it's like something as simple as that for people out there, you know, just right. knowing what your iron storage is, particularly for women, you know, that's a great thing to make sure you get tested yep. and not let someone tell you what's okay. So you said between 50 and 100. Yes, absolutely. Because people are a little afraid of iron because they hear you, hear you can get too much of it, which of right. course you can. Um, and so and so we don't want to be much over 100 either. Um, and so but for mostly for women, it's too low. And the there are good studies which actually show that women who have who have no anemia, this is very important. They're not anemic, but with low ferritin have higher rates of depression and fatigue. 
And so, um, and I can attest to those, those low sex drive. There's all sorts of problems that come with low ferritin. And then also low iron can contribute then to a host of other problems, right? It's like kind of this core. So that's one of those simple examples I just want to give to everyone. I know a lot of people get their iron tested, but they're testing other forms of iron. So it's ferritin. It's spelled F-E-R-R-I-T-I-N. Should be between 50 and 100 usually um, if people are interested. Let's, what are there some other kind of, I mean, aside from vitamin D, which you can talk about, right. what are some other important things people should look into getting tested with regards to these kind of, you know, nuances? Uh, I mean, the uh, vitamin D. So I, I'll just start with my favorite. So vitamin D should be between 70 and 90 on the standard test, is, uh, test that the doctors use. The reference range is at most labs is 30 to 100. So, and there are great trials showing I have a couple of patients now because they love vitamin D with levels into the 200s and they're still doing fine. It's extraordinarily difficult to get toxic with D. It's just such an important thing to hear. Most people are afraid of vitamin D more than they're afraid of chemotherapy. Um, and <laughs> Really? No, Why it really is that? Is. Why are people afraid of vitamin D? It goes back to almost like the food pyramid. They heard that A, D, E, and K are fat-soluble vitamins. Be careful, you can get too much. That's so easy. That's something I was taught like a hundred years ago, um, and and so uh, it's not true. It, they're just they are fat soluble vitamins, mind you. Ordinarily difficult to do, get too much of those vitamins, and we have such a little understanding of what vitamin D does in the body. Again, most doctors think it just has to do with something to do with the skin and the liver and the kidney and 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 calcium metabolism. That's this tiny fraction of what vitamin D does in the body. There's vitamin D receptors in every cell of your body. It only affected your bones. Why do you have these? The answer is vitamin D does a ton. Levels that you need to be to be optimally healthy are so much higher than on the reference range because somebody could have a 31 and the doctor goes, well, that's great. And it's not. It's actually very, very low and dangerous even. So, so, so what should our vitamin B, D be? What did you say again? Between 70 and 90. Between 70 and 90 for vitamin so, D. And then... Because if I, I have this basic nutritional protocol for people in terms of supplements where I tell them, you know, if you're breathing, <laughs> if you're breathing, you're on a multi fish oils and D, you know, and so here you are breathing. So you should do these. And of course, some people will say, well, oh, gosh, what about this? And you and you measure their blood tests. And there's this critical test called homocysteine, which is an amino acid found in the blood uh, bloodstream, which is a very sensitive marker of B vitamin metabolism, B as in boy. Um, and so, and if the homocysteine is over eight, which it most of the times is, that's a sign that your body's slow in clearing this amino acid. And there's a variety of B vitamins that are involved, B6, folic acid, B12, a few others. Um, even things like fish oils help with its clearance. So you, you can test this and then say, hey, go on this multi and some fish oils. We measure their CRP. That one's almost always too high. The highly sensitive C-reactive protein, the inflammation test, if you will, um, can be elevated for a whole lot of reasons. But one of the things that helps bring it down, fish oils. You put them on vitamin D. If I, I do those, you know, if you just look at three simple tests, C-reactive protein, the vitamin D, okay, um, and the homocysteine. Now, those three tests are very simple, critical tests, and you can show that they're off. And when I say off, they're just not optimal for most people. The C-reactive protein should be less than one. The homocysteine should be less than eight. The vit vitamin D should be 70 to 90. And you can get an idea. And of course, you can test these things. That's the beauty of it. So you put the person on a, some form of B vitamin or multi, some fish oil, some vitamin D, and then you can correct these things. 
And oftentimes people will notice over months that certain things are better. It could be an energy or our sleep or their immune system. They're not getting colds. It's a pretty amazing thing, you know. And so, uh, of course, I recommend just getting blood counts. Cholesterol profiles are an awesome way of checking in on your overall metabolism. The scary thing in most doctor's offices is because, you know, the only thing a Western doctor can do about a high cholesterol is give you a statin drug. That's not really true, but that's what they think is true. And so almost everybody, if you go in and get your lab test, you're afraid the doctor is going to go, oh my gosh, you need to be on, you know, Lipitor or some of these drugs. Um, I love cholesterol profiles. You put somebody on these paleo diets and month by month or year by year, you will see continual improvements. Their triglycerides will come down. Their HDL will come up. The HDL is a good cholesterol. Um, and yes, especially if they lose weight and things, the LDL will drift down. It will take time because their body has to reestablish set points. But it, you can show them so easily how improved their metabolism is, even with simple things like a cholesterol profile on top of those other three tests. Um, I love measuring the hemoglobin A1C, which is the three-month glucose test. Hemoglobin A1C should be less than 5.2. I cannot emphasize that enough. And that's a very big marker for someone who, right? Like that test is like that's, if you sugar mm, issues, pre-diabetic. That's absolutely, what that is. absolutely. It's the the quote unquote diabetes test. But un, you know, really, we don't call it diabetes until the A1C is over 6.0. Be very clear. The A1C goes from 5.2 to 6.0. Your cardiovascular risk, your risk of heart attack is two and a half fold, 250% higher at 6.0 than it is at 5.2. That sounds a lot like a disease to me, even before you call it a disease. That's right. And what's optimal then? What's like really optimal? Anything below 5.2? Anything or? below 5.2. Trust me, that's difficult for most people. And unless they're restricting their carbs, they very rarely get there. Occasionally they can do it if they're just big time athletes and not do too much restriction in, that, in carbs. Right, but it, that but over 5.2 or over or over 5.2 would be indicative of insulin resistance, right? Is that what you're saying? It's either insulin resistance or just they're they are just getting too many carbs in, you know. And so I measure fasting insulin on on everybody as well. What you'll find it's a really kind of a neat pattern. Like you've got a fasting insulin and you get an A1C. Now, most Americans both of them will be high because they're not exercising and they're eating too many carbs, okay? However, you'll often get the big time exerciser great fasting insulin because they've got a great lean body mass, but their A1C is too high. And you can tell they're just still at their exercise eating way too many carbs. And it's a way of saying, dude, time, time to bring down the carbs. Yeah, another Let's, athlete bites the dust because we're seeing that a lot. Yeah, I see. Absolutely. And so and another person, you know, you can see that their their blood sugar is OK, but their A1C is under 5.2, but their insulin is still too high. And then you ask them and they're being great with carbs, but they're not exercising enough. They don't have a good enough lean body mass. So those are two very complementary tests that tells you a lot about people. And again, these are simple, common tests. I have litany of tests that are so much more complicated than that. But man, sometimes it's just the simple ones that can give you the best information. Yeah, it's like Occam's razor, right? It's like sometimes the simplest explanation too is what you know. Sometimes you just need iron, or sometimes you just yeah, need your quick exactly. brains. So, yeah. And if you, if people were just listening to this podcast, they know, wow, I I should get a blood count and a ferritin, and I, I of course get your your standard chemistry profile. I would I, most people if you are over. 25 even, I'd probably get a full thyroid panel, just as you see so much undiagnosed thyroid disease. And you and I, I'll, I'll know, know this too, which is there's so many other, there's T1s and T2s. There's so many things that we can't measure, thyroid hormone receptor sensitivity, et cetera. So even, even when the tests look okay, 
you can still miss cases of hypothyroidism um, in a patient. So it, it's a lot more complicated than a TSH and a T4. And it's actually more complicated than the test we know how to, how to order. So, right. Um, and you and I will do a whole, to the audience right now, Gary and right. I will do a whole podcast at some point on thyroid specifically, uh, right. probably approaching um, the book that we're working on. And I also, so let's talk about one more thing. You know, high stress society, you're big into meditation. And I have seen people, even recently, as you have, who have gotten thyroid problems because they're not getting enough sleep, they're stressed out, they're uh, dieting too heavily, could be a combination of kind of starving and stress or just stress and drinking and not, whatever, just general stress. And I want to talk about DHEA because mm -hmm. I have had low DHEA several times in my life based on a couple bouts of hypothyroidism and you know, adrenal issues and the difference in the way that I feel after supplementing DHEA, having it towards the bottom of the range to having mm -hmm. it, again, like in optimal range. And I just feel like, especially over the age of 30, 35, right, can we talk about DHEA, how important it is, and also why it needs to be at optimal levels? <laughs> That's again. Is there's a lot of depths to that question, by the way. True. But but um, this yeah, goes we're getting a free doctor session out of you today. Just so that's exactly what <laughs> I, my know. intention. <laughs> no. Right, and you know I'm never good at short answers, and it's like, hey, DHA is good. Okay, next question. Um, the <laughs> no, I love your long answers. You're great. Um, the uh, we're talking about adrenal insufficiency here, folks, and adrenal function is affected primarily by stress in our lives or by lack of sleep, et cetera, all the things that Elle just brought up. And there's lots of ways of assessing it. I screen usually just with a morning cortisol and a DHEA, okay? You can do salivary profiles up there, and for all you experts who know this, I agree, a full day salivary profile, and that means a spit test, um, um, throughout the day is definitely gives you more information, but is those tests sometimes aren't covered by insurance and it goes on and on, but they are better tests. But you do a screening morning cortisol and a morning DHEA to get an assessment of the person's um, adrenal function. And we're gonna forget about cortisol for a while and we'll just go to DHEA. Oh, DHEA, and DHEA is a, a, a funny one because it sounds like the fish oils, EPA and DHA, it sounds like other things. I'm glad it's, you said that, everyone always confuses that. So they get these things confused. It has nothing to do with fish oils or any of those. It has. It stands for dihydroethyendosterone. It's the test in the bloodstream should be DHEA sulfate or DHEAS, because that's the right form. Um, and so that's the what we measure in the blood test. And there's these age-related norms, okay? And it changes dramatically through life, but uh, a really healthy normal range probably should be like 250 to 450. You know, that's a pretty wide range, I know. For men and I, women? Because I know for, sometimes for those men, ranges are different, so is that... For men and women, it really is a similar level. And, and when the doctor gets the test, like if somebody's 50, the reference range is sometimes actually down to 15, okay? And that, and so you'll, you know, you'll have a level of 17 and it won't even be noticed and that's exceptionally low. So now when you see this low DHEA, of course, you and I both know this, it's a sign, hey, let's look at the, especially carbohydrate metabolism. Are we doing a primal diet? Are we looking at moderate exercise? Because when you see low DHEAs, that's an often a sign that the person can't tolerate much exercise. That's very complicated, but let, that is an indicator um, so that they have to be very moderate in their exercise. They're not getting enough sleep or they're not um, uh, dealing with stress very well. So the, this is an indicator to your doctor, to you, the best doctor, need to be looking at those things. Now, in the meanwhile, so as you treat the underlying problem, okay, I get more sleep, 
I deal with stress, whatever it is. Taking extra DHEA, and it only has to be dosed once a day. You don't have to dose it multiple times a day. Um, you can, but you don't have to for most people. Taking extra DHEA, most women can respond, and you'll get to good levels in the 10 to 25 milligram range, okay? Um, a lot of women are being told, don't take anything more than five milligrams, which is really low. Um, uh, guys, most of the times, sometimes even up to 50. This has to do with absorption, um, distribution in the body. Most guys need a little bit more to get their levels higher, you know, and so... Um, but but it's a wonderful um, hormone in terms of overall metabolism. It acts a little bit like an, not a little. It is an androgen, meaning a testosterone-like thing. So it hel helpful for sex drive, helpful for lean body mass, helpful for body um, uh, general metabolism. Uh, over a course of time, it can help you with the maintenance of of your body weight because it keeps your lean body mass higher. So it's a pretty wonderful hormone, and a lot of people are low in it. But of course, we never want to make this mistake of just thinking. The only thing I'm going to do is take DHEA without looking at the underlying why did it get here. Right, right. And I actually have been building mine up, um, and I'm glad you mentioned those levels because I think I need to shoot a little higher. <laughs> no. um, okay, let's talk about DHEA a little bit more in terms of the precursor to sex hormones and also anti-aging. So I've also read that um, a lot of diseases, like they give DHEA to AIDS patients. I've heard that DHEA is like the rings on a tree in terms of how we age and those levels. So can you talk about its anti-aging aspects? Well, again, so as you know, I have a certification as well in anti-aging medicine, but I don't go quite as far as most of the anti-aging medicine doctors, even though I'm one of them. Um, this kind of goes back to my internal medicine side. Um, DHEA, uh, I look at a lot like other, most of the sex steroid hormones is things I use that are helpful for treating certain conditions and I see if the person responds to them. It's, you know, so the DHA can be used for many things just like you just talked about. Uh, the Is it an anti-aging hormone? Possibly. What you're actually saying is it's been clearly shown that people who are aging healthily maintain higher levels of DHA than those who aren't. What is yet to be proven is that by giving DHEA, getting a higher level, that that's the same as just being there, meaning having a level there without taking anything. So I have, there is yet to be evidence that it truly is anti-aging, even though it might be. There's two anti-aging hormones that I recommend to nearly everybody. It's vitamin D, which is really a hormone, okay? And if you're over 50, and sometimes earlier in life, melatonin. Those ones have great evidence in terms of truly being anti-aging. DHEA, I think, is a very helpful hormone. It very well indeed may be anti-aging, but the evidence isn't quite there yet that it is. What about precursors to sex hormones? Like, so if someone's looking into getting pregnant, maybe they haven't had the best health, is DHEA something? worthwhile along with the hormones that a doctor would test or it can be i mean and so the it's like another uh, precursor hormone called pregnenolone so dha in some women by the way because of its androgen effects it can be a little too masculinizing um and so when i say that they can get some hair growth and other things so very often with women if they've gotten those side effects you give preg Sorry, right. I mean, there's lots of uh, wild roosters here in Hawaii. Yeah, so yeah, I heard that. They want to be on the. They disagree with you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in Kauai, yeah, exactly, and they're t they're letting us know that DHEA helps wake them up, um, and so, <laughs> you know, and you know, we could go on from there with all kinds of sex sex jokes, but we won't go there, um, anyways. And we so, will when we're off record. 
Exactly. Pregnenolone and DHA can be used together, and they're very synergistic. Pregnenolone is good for brain health and cortisol management and other things as well, too. And I think all these hormones play a role. Um, can they help with fertility? Yes. Okay. But when you're dealing with these things, it still comes down to why is the person having the hormone levels do and I really think I get the best success when people make some lifestyle adjustments and they work with those hormonal levels okay but have you have I seen for instance the best fertility hormone is progesterone and that at the and you measure progesterone a lot of women who are having, having problems and it is low and so you can give natural progesterone as a helpful for fertility you can also help get there by doing pregnenolones and DHEAs it's a fairly complex subject but it's definitely something worth looking into for people looking into um, sexual enhancement, that type of thing. So before we wrap up, I just want to get, if you could give advice to anyone, if we're, we're looking for a doctor like you, because everyone who hears you is going to be like, I want to go to that guy. So I have a couple questions. First of all, do you do any appointments like via Skype, or do you have to come at least visit you in person once? Like, how does that work? If someone's out of town, there's terrible doctors, they really like what you have to say, is there a way they can get counsel from you? I, I'm still kind of get this goes to be being so old L um, the uh, I still like <laughs> to see people um, and I got a feel for what to do just by being with them I haven't yet done the Skype doctor thing okay now it's not I don't have Skype obviously and that I couldn't do it um, but uh, at least most of the other times I actually this I know this sounds so old school but I see the person the first time and then we do have phone consults that we do afterwards um, it's interesting how many other people don't have Skype so a couple of times well, we're not even Skype I guess that's what I meant like if someone comes right. to see you they travel out of town and then you know you obviously have to examine them assess them but then right. after that would you be able to if someone was long distance to maybe help them out absolutely yeah that's great and um, for everyone that's interested in your website, that's middlepathmedicine.com. It's filled with lots of good information. You have information on nutritional protocols in there and all sorts of things. What, what would you like to leave our audience with? I mean, we're going to have you back. We'll talk more in detail about thyroid at another time. But I'm just, first of all, I just want to say I'm so impressed at your humility. I'm impressed that you're a doctor who's willing to learn from a patient, which is out of this world, unreal. And very rare, you know, that you're willing, if someone's like, hey, please, can you look into this? Can you look into this? That you're willing to be like, all right, I, I will check it out. I don't know much about this. Or, So I love that aspect um, right. about you and, and, and all your integrative practices. What else can you leave our audience with? Or any wisdom or thoughts? The key is, well, actually, this does go to the wisdom training, is that there's um, the people need to understand that there's such depths to the human being. Um, medicine is not a science. They want it to be, but it just isn't. Physics is a science. Chemistry is a science. Um, uh, medicine is a form of humanities. And so the, the classic Greek model of healing under, understands the human being through these three spheres of knowingness. And the thing I want people to understand is they need to expand their field of inquiry if they do not feel well, heck, if they're just not feeling as well as they want to, they tend to ask the same questions. You know, they go to the same Western MD and they keep on getting the same type of blood test and they wonder why the, you know, they don't find anything. A lot of it is the problems we discussed with what's happening in the Western medical world, but most of it is because the level of inquiry isn't quite enough there. And the that principle I keep getting across to my patients is it's. The, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Those are the three spheres of knowingness to pay attention to. Um, the true is just scientific, objective truth. 
get really good testing from your doctors, get objective data about yourself. It's such an important part of this understanding of you as a human being, but it's actually only one component. Most of the deficiencies and problems in there happen at those other spheres of knowingness where people really aren't asking questions, which is beautiful and very briefly, the beautiful is just using all senses for healing. Most people, visual media and everybody's heard this that they they're watching fox news all day long it's incompatible with human health it just is because it's so ugly so are they get, filling their feel, visual fields with something beautiful their auditory fields with something beautiful you know the rolling stones could be what they're missing you know um and so well that's so important though in healing because you know i is. you have to filter what you're putting in your subconscious if you're watching like rape and murder shows every night and uh you're trying to heal you know i would suggest like watching comedy constantly maybe just switch it up and doing Absolutely. a news fast yeah, absolutely. And and so laughter is a, and most people don't laugh enough in this world. And you know that, Elle. I mean, we need more laughter. And that's is it the best medicine? One of it, those ones anyways. And then you heal through senses of touch. There's so much touch deficiency out there. There's so much problems with intimacy. People just are afraid to get into. And the reason they're unwell and they're not sleeping is doctors to give them a sleeping pill, but they really, you know, need to work on these deeper levels. And this is how they should be healing, is exploring those things. The beauty, the good, by the way, the good just means being true to yourself. If you really, are you in, are you doing, expressing your unique talents and service to humanity? It's another way of saying Dharma. But, you know, and many people, especially as they get over 50, they really aren't being true to themselves, not objectively true, but true to themselves. And, and so, if you are getting the answers from your doctor, it's also just because they're running the wrong test. It's your level of inquiry isn't going into these areas where human beings, where your doctor can't measure is where I'm going, you know, because mm -hmm. beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What is being true to yourself is so uniquely you. And, and most of the imbalances I see come from these deeper levels and you have to get to them or you don't get the healing you're looking for. Yeah, and earlier you mentioned psychotherapy, and I, I mean, I would even just put out their life coaching, self-inquiry, um, right. taking inventory is so important, right? Because there might be some toxic grudge you're holding against, I don't know, a parent or, a, you know, a childhood, whatever, or something that could be really an underlying theme of some stress you may not even be aware of or think is contributing to your health. Yeah, absolutely. This is true for both men and women, but I'd say even especially for men, because men were kind of raised with this idea that the, the intellect reigns over emotions and emotions are almost a lower level of being, which is not true, of course. But right, it makes like a weaker man, right? Exactly. So they, their emotional, men's emotional maturity often stunts around 12 years old. And so and they very rarely emotionally grow more than that unless they consciously try to. Um, and so and most of the world is keeping them there. You have to be very careful about not um, assessing our own emotional maturity and evaluating it. And many times psychotherapies can bring up these levels of our existence and at least we can see them and 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 then we can take uh, you know note, hey i really got to heal at this level uh you have to be careful sometimes psychotherapy bring things to conscious levels but very do little to heal them so um that's why you have also the, your spiritual side of your training so as you deal with the isness of the world and you bring and also uncover and unmask these other levels of imbalances of you know ways you learn to be sometimes by the age of two it, it just brings up such a um 
uh, so many other things that help you heal yourself. And so I do think everybody needs some degree of psychotherapy. I really do. Uh, one last thing. God, we're going to have like a 10-hour podcast with you. <laughs> um, so one other thing on that note. So like, for example, the stories that have been passed down are the patterns. So I know someone whose, um, you know, parent is like constantly sick. It's their source of attention. Everyone in the town is like, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, and they're sort of feeding into that, right? And so... Sometimes we need to be aware of things in our family or people around us and their health stories. And what are we taking on? Because, or what were we told? You know, if you're told, well, you have terrible genetics, you know, you're going to, you know, most likely, you know, Aunt Lily's got this and so and so. And if that's constantly the story um, versus I grew up, my parents were like, you have perfect genetics. You'll never have a problem. You're fine. Everyone lives forever. I mean, and it's like, oh, great. Well, that's a wonderful story I was told. And, and um, yeah, it's true so far. But, you know, what about these stories, these patterns we pick up from parents or family members? Well, that's true. And that's what people don't realize is they we pick up these patterns at such an early age in our life. We, of course, never remember being different. So a typical example for me is a, a guy in the practice. I've just always been angry and and and. They identify themselves as an angry person, and they'll, and that could be because dad was or some other factors, but this is just a way they learn to be. They don't understand it because they they do not remember being any different. They learn to be this way by two, and so and you don't have good memories before two. So, so and, and therefore, they don't inquire into it and to how they can tr actually treat it. And this is true for anxious people and depressed people. Right, I've always Oops. been nervous. I've right. always been. Or right. that's, that statement. Yeah. I've always been. And you probably have because you don't remember difference. So it's a, it's not an inaccurate statement. And in, there's also a part of it too. Too many people identify with their disease. If you take their disease away from them, they almost take away their identity, you know. And so, so, and we don't want people identifying us, identifying themselves. I'm just a depressed person. It's who I am. But there are people who identify themselves very significantly with that. Um, and if they were to act happy, it would almost be against their belief system of themselves. And so, it's, it's very interesting how we do take on patterns sometimes from parents, sometimes from you know from our community and from our schools and churches and all the other things, we learn ways of beings that usually are like the food pyramid, not that great, you know? Right. Like what is your, I guess I would just challenge the audience. Like what's your, what's your story that you've been telling people right. about you? You know, whether that's, well, you know, I'm always an all or nothing person. I just, I never seem to be able to, do, you know, or I've, I'm, I always get sick every, every year, every summer or you know, anything that you're perpetuating. Um, right. You can change it by starting to limit the language and maybe, starting to tell a new story or just stop telling the old one. <laughs> right. It's very true. But most of those people that goes to the things that we were talking about in terms of depths of inquiry, their imbalance really is something deeper and, um, and they just think they're, they have a serotonin deficiency and it's so much more complicated than that, but that's why they think they can't get off the medicine, you know? Um, and, and it's, uh, but they, they don't want to go there because otherwise, because this in Western medicine, we're afraid of blaming people. So, oh, you, it's just your genes. Don't worry about it. Here's your Lipitor, you know. And, <laughs> oh, it's just your genes, you know. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's just your genes. And their cholesterol was fine like two years ago. Two years later, it's high. And their doctor is saying, it's just your genes, you know. <laughs> it's like, this, that, does that even make sense to you? It's You had the same genes two years ago and a good cholesterol. Um, and so, but that, that part of it, people don't want to feel blamed. And you can do neutral self-inquiry, which just means, huh, what is that all about? 
inquire into things without the guilt, blame, and shame, which unfortunately is so part of most people's trainings that if I, you know, if I have somebody with lung cancer and they're smoking, I don't want them to blame themselves, but their neutral self-inquiry say, huh, this smoking probably has something to do with it. Let me, let me deal with that, you know? And so you can do that way without going, I'm a bad person and all these other things. And unfortunately, too many people just shift immediately to the guilt, blame, and shame game when, and so otherwise, when we take these of inquiry and we take responsibility for our health too many people fall down the pattern of basically blame you know and they might blame someone else either as well too but either way the blame game doesn't help anybody and so it's just responsibility which again the true definition of responsibility is the ability to respond creatively in any situation and and that that so you can be responsible Responsibility does not look backwards. Responsibility is in the present and looking forward. Um, and so, so take responsibility for your health. If you find yourself looking backward to blame something, you're just—it's an old pattern that you just developed. And so, and it's entirely not necessary. So, uh, take responsibility for your health. Take the field of inquiry, but realize that there are patterns that you can get into where you just go back to old dysfunctions and then just laugh at yourself and say, oops, I tripped over myself again and just become responsible, which is in the present moment. Take action now. That is so great. I think after an hour and a half listening to you, everybody can see why I think you're wonderful. I'm so happy to have you on and to know about you and to kind of model, everybody should sort of model this level of open-mindedness and thoughtful medical practice. If anyone's interested in learning more about Gary, you can go to his website, middlepathmedicine.com. That's middlepathmedicine.com. He's on the central coast of California. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll definitely be back to have more discussions as time go by about some specific issues, but thank you so much for your time today. So appreciate it. You're welcome. And I so appreciate you. Thank you. Bye. Hi listeners. It's Brad Kearns to tell you about our partner on the podcast dnafit.com. Mark and I both went through the DNA Fit process and received our reports and were quite interested to read the results. Some of them confirmed the healthy lifestyle behaviors that we've been doing, but I was also really surprised to learn that I was predominantly a strength and power oriented athlete rather than endurance, which has been my lifelong background. Other things on the report that are quite interesting are your sensitivity to carbohydrates, your need for vitamin D. This is a snapshot of what makes you tick and it'll just help you inform the best practices to undergo as you're trying to dial in your exercise patterns and your diet. And you can go to dnafit.com and get a 30% discount on their comprehensive package just for listening to the podcast. And all you have to do to get that 30% discount is enter the discount code PRIMALBLUEPRINT 